All right. Welcome, everybody. How are you? Today, we have Mark Wolf on the podcast. Welcome, Mark. Hey, hello, John. Great to be here. So a friend of mine, Carrie Childers, said, hey, there's this guy, and he's from Jersey, and he's actually, like, really cool. Because, like, <laughs> I, you know, I went to college on the East Coast, and you mm. Jersey guys, mm. I got to tell you, you know, you have a reputation, but actually some of my best friends, Mark, I got to tell you, come from Jersey. It is like... It's like this hidden gem that nobody knows about because they think of Newark. Right. But here's what we're going to be talking about today. Mark and I were talking about the title of this. And what this is overcome imposter syndrome. Hmm. And there's been so many times in my life, Mark, where I've not seen the value in myself. I've made decisions based on how I viewed myself versus maybe the potential that others were seeing. And I look back. And I think some of those coolest moments in my life where there was mentors, there was bosses, there was people in the military, my commanding officer, who saw something in me that I did not see in myself and put me into what I felt were like stretch opportunities that I was totally not equipped for. And then they actually turned out they weren't a disaster or they turned out absolutely phenomenal. And then I realized as I have gone through life, there's been so many little kind of pivot points. And I think, you know, a lot of this is rooted, there's so much that's rooted in our identity, our beliefs about ourselves, how we see the world. And what it really comes down to is our view of our value in different situations. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us have a skewed sense of value. So this is something Mark and I do we talk about this with our clients a little here. Let me give a little background on Mark. We're going to dive into this. So Mark, you're an executive coach. Uh, here, let me just read your bio. Um, in a world of constant change, it's becoming even more difficult for leaders to pick the right change at the precise time. Mark helps leaders overcome the barriers to change so they can see around the corner and far down the horizon. Mark's unique approach to leadership and purpose uncovers key obstacles affecting individuals, team performance, and guides them to become the leaders they were created to be. And I'm excited to have this conversation. You're down in Franklin, Tennessee now, and, and one of the people I just truly respect introduced us. So um, let's do this, because I know you have so much to say on this subject. This is something you've thought about, you've studied, you've helped some amazing people through this from all walks of life. But Bring us back and just kind of walk us a little bit through your journey that's kind of really led you to be able to be in this position to do what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for opening with some of your story too, because that's kind of truly who I am. I love hearing people's stories because within that is the value of understanding where they want to go, right? Your past, some of the things that have happened in your life and some of the struggles really define like what you want to overcome. And you're right. I grew up in New Jersey. And with that comes the stigma of being, you know, the TV shows have not helped. But uh, yeah, and the accent of Cape Boss. Hey, what exit? Exactly. And the tolls. <laughs> so, so New Jersey is definitely a thing. But I, I've escaped that. And for the last 11 years, I've lived down in the south and outside of Nashville and Franklin. And when I was in New Jersey, I used to live across the street from a public school that I went to. So it's fourth grade. Okay, I'm nine years old. And I'm going to school every day. And by the way, even though it was across the street, I went to school late every day, even though my parents prompted me. I really didn't want to go to school. Wasn't a fan of school. Didn't see long-term value. Even in nine years old, I was like, what's school for? Why can't we just do? Why do we have to learn now? And as I was going to school, there was a new teacher in our class. 
and she would go and hand out tests or hand out things to study. And the kids would have questions and she just wouldn't answer them. So I was a better than average student. So I would get my work done and kids would come up to me and ask me and say, hey, Mark, I don't want the answer. I just want to know how to do this. So I would help them. So every day I would help these kids. And then a few times a week, the teacher would kick me out of class. So the process, what you were learning made sense to you. Mm-hmm. And you just had this kind of innate ability to teach versus just say, hey, the answer is 31. Right. You'd actually sit down and show them how to get to the answer. Right. Because it wasn't about the answer. I didn't really care about the answer. I cared there was a process. I was like, oh, we're supposed to learn how to do this this certain way. So the teacher would send me to the principal's office. And at the end of the day, my mom would say, how was school? And I said, it was great. It was in the principal's office. And she goes, why'd you get an A on this test, but you keep going to the principal's office? Well, what happened is that the teacher said I was disruptive. And because I was disruptive, I had to leave. So understand, I'm a, pretty much an A student that didn't want to go to school. I wasn't one of those brainiacs that was like trying to prove that I was smart. I just wanted to help people. And they literally, the principal said to me, he's like, we can't have you here. I'm like, I'm in public school. How could you kick me out of public school for doing nothing wrong, nothing immoral, nothing illegal? It was, they were like, okay, we're going to give you a private tutor for the rest of the year. They gave me an IQ test. My IQ was 139. And they said, okay. And I had to, so that kind of crushed me for a little while to be kicked out of public school. It was kind of humiliating, but ultimately I learned that I was actually, by the way, that teacher at the end of the year, she was fired. Not because of me, just because obviously she wasn't doing what she's supposed to do. So I guess I was coaching John even back then. So, you know, here's a question for you, though. You know, it's some of these things that happen in our life. And I think this is what you, you highlight is a really interesting point. So you're helping people in your mind. The feedback you're getting is that you're disruptive. Mm-hmm. And then you're kicked out of school, which is probably a little embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And here's a question because I know this has happened in my life, all of a sudden, some of these things that happen externally, right? If we look at our identity, how we think about ourselves, right? It's our own experiences. It's things that were said to us. And it's also what we think other people think about us. I mean, there's a, we could do a deep dive in that. What happens though, is we hear things, we interpret them a certain way, which is actually not accurate. Mm-hmm. So we've now kind of deceived ourselves. And now we let in something that's the start of a falsehood or a lie. And over time, and I think this is the root of undervaluing ourselves and imposter syndrome, is we accept that lie about ourselves as a truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, when that happened to you, if you can look back at it now with the maturity that you have, what was that maybe falsehood that kind of got dropped in your lap through that experience? So, you know, it started even in kindergarten. I had an unsatisfactory mm. for talking in kindergarten. So there was a background for me. I was always verbose, right? I really, you were that something. guy. I was that guy. I was the class clown. <laughs> I was the one that was talking. And the reason why I wanted to talk is because you know, my parents were divorced when I was seven. Mm. So that kind of had a scar on me that I was like living in an apartment. I was by myself, literally, because my mom had to work because we we're a blue collar family, didn't have money. So what do you need? You need attention, right? And instead of me hanging out with the wrong kids doing things, I wanted to be the popular kid in school by being funny and communicating. So 
part of it was doing well in school and helping others. Part of it was just me being interactive. So when I was nine, it was embarrassing because I had to go to a different school, went to Catholic school, because when you get kicked out of public school, where do you go? I mean, mm. you got to go somewhere. So Catholic school is the only choice in Jersey. Hey, there's Italian Catholics up there, big time. So it was embarrassing. And the thing is, is that what I believed was me influencing others, me helping others was actually not a good thing because look, adults said it was wrong. So it's mm. got to be wrong. And at nine, I wasn't ready to fight the fight and say, oh, I'm going to overcome this. I'm just a nine-year-old trying to get out of my own way. And it was distracting and uh, literally took a long time all the way probably till college till I really realized that what I was doing was actually a way to help other people. Mm -hmm. Because then in college, I had more control of what I wanted to do and what my career was going to be and how I was going to interact. That's why I started businesses on my own when I was younger, John, was because I was like, I'm not letting people tell me the way the world has to go. I'm going to create it for myself. So I saw my dad go bankrupt because he was working and didn't do well with how to handle money. So I was like, I'm going to create this on my own. And that's what empowered me. Yeah. And one of the things you shared with me before is in this period of time, your dad said something to you and that was Mark, be confident, act like you belong. What, what prompted him to say that? So you got to picture this. So here's my dad. I'm six foot. My dad's five foot two. He was in the air force and he was a Korean war, war vet and he was a barnstormer working on engines and planes in Africa. And he, uh, four pack a day smoker, right? Unfiltered. So just, I got a picture of this. Okay. So, and here's me, right. And I'm taller than him at a young age. And he said, be confident, act like you belong. And so you're thinking, okay, what would that mean? Well, I watched my dad literally get into events. I watched him get and autograph some people. I watched him take me to some of the best restaurants because he said, son, I want you to be able to do what I was never able to achieve. Mm. And part of that was going to the top of the World Trade Center. There was a restaurant called Windows on the World. This was obviously a long time ago, right? Before 2001. And we went there. We went and did things. He showed me where all the forks and knives and how to eat the right way and how to dress the right way. And he's like, son, when you walk into someplace and there's a 3,000-hour suit, do not be impressed and do not act like it is not within your reach even if you don't have the money, because nothing is better than you and you are better than no one else, understand where your role is in society. So it's not fake it till you can make it. It is nothing should be where you're looking at it and go, oh, I can't do that. He's like, act, be confident, act like you belong. And that's worked because I saw him do it in the most unlikely character to be able to do this in his whole life. And that's what he instilled in me. And our two daughters are confident because of that. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. I am confident because I believe there's still more to learn, but I believe that I know who I was made by, what my purpose is, and what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's a good point, right? It's interesting. You look at some leaders that I talk to, especially, you know, as Christians, I actually think it kind of amplifies this problem, right? Of how about this? Uh, false humility is how a lot of times it comes across. To me, and I and I love the word, you know, confidence is that, you know what, if I'm not good at something, but I know I need to be to do what's on my heart in business and a nonprofit with a passion or cause, 
I know that I can put in the work. I can try. I can put myself in uncomfortable situations to try to get better at something so that I can do more in the world and then not take the credit. It's when we start either taking the credit or we know we're good at something because God has just given us that. And then we're not turning it up to a 10, right? It's like we're not stewarding it well. And we're almost using this excuse of false humility to not put in the work or the effort using that skill out in the world. Yes. I don't know if that makes sense, but sometimes it just frustrates me when I see that. So it, we have a gift. We're supposed to use it all the time. And it's funny, you know, my daughters remind me as they were growing up, they're like, dad, you can only help those who want your help. And that was humbling because I was like, I can help anybody because I know what I'm supposed to do. So I can have a 10 minute conversation and ask great questions and help people. But the thing is, is that, yeah, but you can't help them do anything more than they don't want to do and they're not ready to do. And I was like, here's my kids actually educating me on things and giving me perspective. So, you know, we talk about like uh, things that we didn't do on our own. You know, when I was in college and I'm starting businesses and doing things because I was like, oh, I'm a photographer. And when I had an internship for the New York Giants, I wasn't even a football fan. Right. They could have said the Cleveland Browns. Not there's anything wrong with them. And I would have taken them. Oh, there is. There is. (laughs) We'll just not go there, though. (laughs) <laughs> but the point is, is that I wanted an internship with something that a school of 13,000 other people didn't get a chance to do. And I wanted to be able to take that. And it was offered to nobody else. It was offered to me because I had a, a side conversation that was a photographer. And they said, hey, you want an internship in New York Giants? I was like, yeah. And this was when Phil Sims was there and Lawrence Taylor. I mean, this was 1989. So I know it's a long time ago. But what the thing is, is that John, you know what? I know I didn't do that on my own. And I know that the businesses that I started when I was an Apple dealer in the 90s, when everybody else was making fun of Macintosh and nobody had iPhones because they didn't exist. And people are making later making fun of the Newton and other things that have now helped evolve into other products. I realized when I started that and I was doing work around the country with Fortune 100 companies, I realized it wasn't me either. The thing is, is I look at these opportunities and I said, this is all part of the pathway to help reach other people that I wouldn't have had access to if I wasn't paying attention and understanding that this is all part of the journey. Do you think I didn't have the imposter syndrome thinking, here's this guy from New Jersey with divorced parents that got kicked out of school that I'm going to be able to do all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to be taking pictures of George Herbert Walker Bush and Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and Al Gore and Cindy Crawford, the supermodel. I'm going to be doing this like me. So when those thoughts came into your head, so I know you kept taking those steps forward versus stopping. And I think that's important point I'd like to talk about because I think you're I know your mom, especially through high school and college had a big influence on you. I think she, might have probably shared some things, did some things with you that really kind of equipped you into those moments of doubt later on, right? Yeah, my mom. So again, you know, my mom didn't even graduate high school, right? She's in her late 80s now and she still lives on her own. She'll cooks her own meals. She's a typical Italian mom, cares about her kid, will do anything, give your shirt off her back to be able to help so my mom was doing these jobs, being, being a latchkey kid, you know, doing things on my own. And because she worked in food service, I got to go to college. And I mean, how grateful 
would are, are we supposed to be for our parents, no matter how bad things have been, what they have sacrificed to bring us into the world, but even beyond that, to go and look and say, hold on, mom, you worked all these hours. This is what you've done. This is how you help me. This is how you always did my laundry. Again, Italian mom, love that. That stopped with the wife. Wife was like, you know what? That's your mom. I'm not doing your laundry like your mom. Go live with your mom <laughs> if you want that. So yeah, that's what happens when you don't marry an Italian girl, by the way. So, <laughs> But she was always there to support me. And the thing is, is that she believed in me and saw things. And again, I know that's what a lot of people say, well, that's your parents. And I was like, but if she wasn't there to help me when things weren't at a perspective, which it can easily went bad. I think that's really what changed things for me was seeing that she saw the skills I had early and be able to like leverage that and go, Mark, you really help people and ask questions that other people don't ask. She's like, I think you really need to continue to keep asking questions and talk less and ask more questions. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's do this. I think this would be kind of fun. So everybody, you've got people out there listening that every one of us have had this either imposter syndrome. And I know for myself, Mark, you know, people talk about the fear of failure. I think something that actually stops people is the fear of success. And I think it's actually could be, has the potential to be more powerful. And here's why. If I don't see myself as somebody that could be a good leader, and all of a sudden I'm on the path toward that, and what's happening in my life is out of alignment with how I see myself, because I have done this. I've done this a couple of times when I first started doing some technology startups. I started making decisions that were in alignment of the, I guess that person I saw as the imposter. Hmm. I didn't know that term at the time. And I'll tell you this right now, I sabotaged my success a couple of times because of a very poor self-image. I mean, I grew up in a middle-class family. I went in the Navy and all of a sudden my dreams were coming true and I got injured and the Navy asked me to get out. Like, so my dream that I'd had since a kid was ripped away. And so let's do this. Let's just say that you and I were sitting around a fire pit and somebody came up to us and said, man, I'm I, this whole thing you're talking about, not feeling valued, imposter syndrome, really uncomfortable taking that next small step forward. That just seems so out of my comfort zone. I'm just not going to do it. We're both coaches, right? What questions would we ask them to start getting them back on a better track? There's so many different ways to go, right? Yeah, let's, to talk let's have about fun. This. Let's help the folks that are out there yeah. listening right now. Yeah, so you're right. Fear of failure, fear of success, right? But it's what does it come down to? Fear. What do you believe is really going to happen? So the fear of failure is, well, I'm going to be embarrassed or this won't look good. Or it's mostly about emotion. What's going to happen, right? Fear of success is well, how is this going to be sustainable? You know, what if I get this and it changes who I am? Or what am I going to have to give up to do this? You know, I've looked at other people. So I guess the questions are, is like, first of all, figuring out what the fear is, right? Is it the fear of failure, fear of success? Because there's, it comes down to fear. And the thing is, is that it's amazing when you think about what to ask people. It's like, if you really think it through, it's illogical. Because the, I, I tell people, I said, what do you think is possible versus probable? Like, what do you mean? I said, well, let's say you are successful. Let's say you do become a fighter pilot. Let's say this does work out for you. 
What's the chances of this being uh, something that actually changes your life and it actually works and actually helps you become the man or woman you were meant to be? What would that life look like? You see, they, they sometimes don't look far enough down the road, sometimes asking the question of what could that look like the way you want to craft it? And why do you think that you're going to let other things get in the way to actually sabotage that success or you know, why there's going to be a failure. So I help them vision forward to see what it is, John. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, one of the first thoughts that came to my head is let's say you did that and you failed. Who's that first person you're thinking of in your head? Who's the one to laugh at you, point your finger at you, maybe roll their eyes with a little bit of sarcasm, that thing you're kind of dreading. I think digging into what is it about how you are letting somebody else have such influence over you who doesn't even honestly probably hasn't thought about you in a very long time, quite frankly. And they post on social media about you, right? Yeah. So all the people with the accolades, all the support, all that you're doing great. And then there's the one person that means the least to you that all of a sudden says something. And that's what detracts you from your own success. Really? Yeah, so you're exactly. living for others more than you're living for yourself, in essence. Because if you're going to let, like, you know, John, I meant the same thing. It's like, I'm supposed to be writing a book. I have thousands of words written and I haven't done it. And the reason I haven't finished it yet is because I'm concerned to say, well, if I write this book and people don't like it because they're like trying to compare it to there's nothing new under the sun and everything else. I was like, well, why am I writing it? <laughs> I just finished my book, Mark. I know exactly what you're talking. Look at here it is, man. So... Here's something else, but it, it was a process. You know, people dealing with imposter syndrome, maybe here's a question you can ask yourself. Because this is what I've seen working with clients, right? Do you think about this task that maybe you're afraid of moving into? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the experience? Do you understand how to work well, right? Not to crush it. Like that might be too high of a standard. In what you're moving into, let's because what I've seen when you have an imposter syndrome and you're really dealing with a fixed mindset, I would really, you guys should all read Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Often, what happens is we see things that we've done in the past because it's out of alignment with really some of that identity things is, hey, I was just lucky. Not that I'm good at it, not that I'm skilled. And you can actually see that that is corrosive and feeds into this. And so I think it's really important to kind of reinforce into yourself and understand the work that you've done and how you've done that work and try to look at it from a different place. Like the people that, you know, believed in Mark and I in different times and put us into these threat situations, saw that, knew that it wasn't our past success wasn't lucky. It's actually something that we're good at, even though we don't know in our head that we're good at. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want to take that even further. Yes. And I think that starting to visualize what that could look like, right? What gifts you've had, the failures you've had. And I like to use the iPhone as an example. Mm. You know, people used to joke about the Newton. You know, I don't know if you've ever even seen one. I actually owned one because back then Apple gave me one and it was horrible. And there was Dilbert cartoons written about it because the handwriting was horrible. Or you can remember the Palm Pilot. See, those failures actually help create the smartphones of today. See, so those things that everybody made fun of and they lost hundreds of millions of dollars actually built products for the future. If you don't take and build on your failures, 
you can't really get to your successes. And I know that's said, but nobody wants to fail. But just think of any entrepreneur. If they didn't have failures, they would have stopped and been done. If I wouldn't have had a business that would have literally been a Macintosh business, I wouldn't have been in coaching. And you're like, well, how did technology become a business to do coaching? Well, my initial glance was looking at it as technology and selling Mm -hmm. tools. And then Mm -hmm. I realized it wasn't about technology, about conversations. And it wasn't about conversations. It was about outcomes people want. And I was like, okay, well, what does that really mean? It means people just want to design something and they wanted a tool that worked for them. Okay. Well, that's what the Macintosh was for a lot of people. You know, John, we make things way more complicated. So every time we try to make things simple, we add more words to make them more complex. We do that in our own heads all the time. And that's what helps us make it even take a longer process because we have all that self-talk that actually says, well, you can't do it or it's not going to look good or there's going to be that person from your past that says something and it's going to take you down. I was like, really? Bring it. Bring it. See, that's where the jersey comes out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, so here's the story about that because, you know, sometimes we were at a Texas technology conference. I was in Austin. Michael Dell was the keynote speaker, and I'm there as a vendor at a startup software company. I've only been out of the Navy three years. I am as green as they get. And I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium. Like we came in late. Like we're like, what are we doing here? Like the CEOs of the biggest companies in the world are here. And we hear the event organizer behind us saying, hey, Michael Dell just canceled. We got to find a speaker who can fill a slot. And my buddy next to me, I'd been asked to run the sales department. I don't know if that was the best call for our CEO at the time, right? That's where your mind's going. But he elbows me and goes, you should speak. And I turned around and said to the event planner, I'll speak. And she goes, what would you speak on? And I said something about business intelligence. She goes, well, you can't talk about your company, but you can talk about that topic. And then I look back at Frank, I go, what the heck did I, what, what did we just get ourselves into? She goes, you can't have the main stage in Dell slot. We're going to put somebody there, but you're going to be on the stage. Literally pulled an all-nighter. I was literally scared out of my wits. We called our CEO, Tim. And he's like, you, you did what? You did? Okay, said, okay, do this, do this. And he gave me some pointers and some coaching. Like, I'll never forget the morning of, I was about to throw up in my, my Wheaties. I don't think I've ever been more scared in my life. And we, but we had the PowerPoint down. I went up there and you know what I did? I did average. It was my first time public speaking. It was not good. And do you know what came out of it? Three clients, Wells Fargo, Samsung, and B2 Technologies, have ever, ever heard of them. So what it showed me was when you have people around you that maybe see something in you that you don't in yourself, but here's what also, I'm looking back on it, and I think the Navy helped me see this, is I stop looking at things as this is John going up and has a good speech or a bad speech. I'm going to get new clients and win or embarrass myself and fail. I decided that I'm going to look at this as if I want to build a business career. I have to be a better communicator. So the only outcome here is that I'm going to get feedback, whether I do well or don't do well, on how to improve. And I got to tell you, it was kind of in that moment in the belief of some of the people around me that I started seeing these opportunities differently. They weren't attached to my identity. They were attached to my journey. 
Yep. And that made a huge difference for me. And you're always going to have your first time of doing something. And what I remind people when they're going to do something new for the first time, I said, by the way, that'll probably be your worst. You're only going to improve on it. And when they thought like, that's going to be my worst. I was like, well, cause if it's your best, you're only decelerating. So it's going to be your worst and you're going to do best as you continue to improve. So along that same line, cause we're talking about Carrie Childers. Cause again, we're both big fans of her heart and her yeah. business savvy. So Carrie believed in me early on in my, well, I mean, just a few years ago in my career of speaking, she's like, Hey, you can do this emceeing gig for a fortune 100 company in front of 140 of their people in California. And I was like, I've never emceed. I've only done keynoting. She's like, Oh, it'll be fine. You'll be able to do it. And she's like, I believe in you. And Carrie's just such a cheerleader. And she's just so honest that when she believes and supports you. And that's, again, kind of like what you were talking about, John. You had an associate that was like, wasn't there to embarrass you. It wasn't a college buddy that goes, hey, watch this. It was somebody who said, hey, <laughs> hey, we're going to. Well, you know why? It's because he knew we needed to do it and he didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we called Tim. But, you know, afterwards, but we called Tim. He's like, he was so proud of me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to make him proud. Because mm -hmm. he goes, you know what? Good call. I remember him even telling me, I don't care what the outcome is, John. Right. This is good for you. And see, that's it. When they be somebody believes in you, they don't make it about themselves or the company. They say, here's an opportunity. Own this. And Carrie did that for me. And me emceeing, I don't ever want to emcee again. I did not enjoy the process of two days of emceeing. I enjoyed the process of keynoting. I enjoyed the process of going to Hawaii for a client and being able to do things. But when you see somebody believe in you and know you have this skill and it's just you in your own way, when they do it and you're done and it was, you know, nauseating and nervous and stuff, I, I still get nervous before podcasts. It keeps me grounded, but mm. it doesn't keep me from doing things. There's a difference between something that keeps you in your head to go and say, be on the top of your game versus I don't care, happen what may, and, you know, I'm just going at it. But then there's all the people that don't do it at all, Right. So I don't care how you get there. You got to do it. So at least you say you did and you know what it feels like and you know what to improve. And guess what? Most of the time when you're on stage or you're doing something new, people want the success for you as well. They don't want to see you fail because if they're in an audience or they're listening to a podcast, they're listening to it because they want something from it. So why would they want you to fail? Because that means they wasted their time and you wasted yours. And you know, you're not going to ever please everyone because we have different personalities and different ways that we take information in. So guess what, John, you and I can both be polarizing as coaches because there's certain mm -hmm. clients that are never supposed to work with us. They're supposed to work with someone else, but the ones that are supposed to work with us are working with us and then get results that they demand. That's true. So I love what you said in there, right? So a couple things, and this is something I, I work on, you know, with my clients that are really struggling with this is, when we look at some of the, I think, areas around identity, core belief, getting really in touch, I think, with what you're passionate about, what your values are, what are those things that bring you alive? What are your strengths? Uh, you could even take a spiritual gifts test. It's amazing to see how these all line up. And then, you know, part of it is, hey, what's that vision? Maybe I'm stuck right now and I'm timid and I'm not the person I really want to be. And it's frustrating. And I understand that. I think the bigger that gap is, honestly, 
between the person that you see in the mirror and the person God sees when he looks at you, because remember, he created you perfectly, the more stress and anxiety that you feel. And this was a big part of my journey. You know, a lot of this, you know, you're hearing Mark and I come from this place now of like, hey, we're just going to go do it. And I know I wasn't always there. Mm -hmm. And so here's just something I wanted to point out. Don't compare. I think the biggest killer of being able to overcome something like either imposter syndrome or fear of success is comparing yourself to others. Here's Mark and I, I'm guessing we're probably about the same age and we've had many, many, many years, many failures. People make fun of us. People encourage us and support us that has allowed us to create, I know for myself, really connect to my true identity and also give some resilience. And I did not have that 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. So I think the best advice I can give people out there is, you know what, start competing with the best version of yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to that person who just went up and did the briefing in front of the team meeting at your company and just crushed it. And you're like, wow, I don't know if I could ever do that. Well, that's comparing yourself and that's going to crush you. Say, okay, what is how I could do it just a little bit better? Just what is a plus one that next small step look like for you? Because I think if you kind of set a vision for who's the person you want to be, even just two, three years out from now, how do you want to be known by your peers? Well, I want to be known as somebody who's confident. That's probably not how I'm seen today. Okay, what would it look like to just move toward that internally so it shows up externally? So that's something that just really popped into my head. How about you, Mark? Anything that's just, if we're sitting here talking to a group of folks or this is something they're struggling with, something, a nugget for you? You know, it's... Why do you think people hire coaches in the first place? It's because sometimes your buddies and the mm. people you hang around with care about you, but they actually don't care enough to tell you some things that are hard to hear. That's and so true. because of that, I've literally been hired by people. Again, half of my clients are females. And what they continue to tell me is, you know, Mark, you challenge me and ask me questions no one else asks me about my career and about my goals. And I was like, okay, so you mean I don't tell you it's going to be all right when you just told me it's not going to be all right because that's not helpful? And, you know, John, to your point, seeing a vision of where you want to go, right? It's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, and people talk about vision boards and there's so many different ways and somebody will say, well, what do you want people to say? It's your funeral. There's many different ways to do it, but I think as individual coaches, my approach is always, what's the next step, right? Just the simple next step. And let's be really clear on what you're doing well, right? What's really going for you, right? So sometimes that's when you find out about somebody's passion and how there's a client I had who loved marketing all mm. the time. She was in charge of sales and operations and owned the company, but she had just passion for marketing. And she was doing some things that were just incredible with marketing, but she had to run sales all the time. So she was getting taken away from it. Well, the thing is that she really has this natural ability to write. So she started writing screenplays and other things. And you're thinking, well, where did that come from? It's like, and I would challenge her and go, what does your career look like if you actually did what you talk about all the time versus mm. what you're doing, which is what you're living through right now? 
And it's funny, those questions, right? I've had people write three books, three different people write books because I challenged them. I said, they're like, oh, I'm still working on this book and it's going to be done. I said, what is being done and you being a published author? What does that look like? And they were like, huh? I said, how about if you start titling yourself author of the upcoming book? And they were like, wow. I said, because it's true, right? You're going to write this. They're like, yeah. I said, so you're the author of this upcoming book, right? Yeah. And as a coach, sometimes you can put things in perspective in a way where people start to say and go, hold on, how did you as a stranger, this is even before they pay me, be able to see things and be like, and help me frame the way it could be? I said, well, imagine if you paid me and we worked on this, you actually accomplished it. Because it's not about the money. You know, John, and this is another point that I think is critical. Mm. You and I spending time together, the asset that I have and you have that's limited, but we do not know when it will expire, okay? A time we have on earth, we people waste it more than they waste money. They're more frugal with their money and what should I buy that or should I do that than they are with their time. And what I try to get clients to understand is to say, if you truly make a mistake and you can course correct, it's so much better than waiting, waiting, waiting and never course correcting and taking years to go and make that mistake that you could have easily made or adjustment you would have made five or 10 years early. My prayer is always, Lord, show me in real time so I can make changes in real time. Don't let me go and say five years from now, oh, that's why I met John and we had this conversation. We were supposed to do X, Y, and Z together. I was like, show me now. But if people, are they willing to have that bold prayer, John, and actually ask that? Yeah, you know, I love your guy. I know for a fact, you know, the kind of clients I work with, they're passionate, they're driven, they want to make a difference, they're smart. But you know what? Life is crazy and it's busy and it's really easy to kind of fall back on habits and patterns that are just so embedded. And what I found for myself, and this is one of the reasons I became a coach, is I knew I had the wherewithal to figure it out. But the time I figured it out and made that first course correction might be 18 months or 24 months. And then you make the next one. And then you make the next one. What if I could actually make each one of those and get to those inflection points every two or three weeks? Right. So where I am in two years from now doesn't even resemble where I would have gotten on my own. Now, it just like compresses this timeline. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think I had a guy hire me once. This was interesting. He didn't want any coaching at all. He didn't want me to ask any questions. He ran this massive uh, manufacturing concern. He wanted one person to share all the stuff that was going through his head verbally and then feed it back to him, reframe it and feed it back to him so he could hear from somebody who's outside of his world, so there's no judgment, his own language. So he could, as he heard it fed back to him, identify mindsets, poor decision, limiting beliefs. And I got to tell you, we worked together for two years and those were our sessions together was he would just give me this whole download and then say, okay, what did you hear? And I would point some things out and I'd even, I would love that. That must've been awesome. I'd even start asking some questions, but I got to tell you, this guy, he's one of the wisest leaders I've ever met. I am not an expert in his industry. I could not, uh, there, any kind of advice or consulting to what he did and that the level he was at was completely out of my wheelhouse. But I knew I could show up and serve him. And he's one of those guys, like when I got first introduced to Mark, I'm like, I'm not the right guy. Like, what am I doing here? This is stupid. 
I'm just going to embarrass myself showing up trying to tell this guy I could coach him. What he liked was the fact that I think because I realized that I did have a limitation from the perspective of what I understood coaching to be at the time, this was early on. I said, I'm just going to show up and listen and ask questions and not say a thing about myself or what I do, which is why he ended up hiring me, by the way, because I just showed up really in a place of humility. And I was there to serve somebody who I respected from the, what he does in the community. And it turned into a great now, many years later, a great friendship. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, people can use coaching in so many different ways. I say no more than yes, right? I do too. I have a very small number of I want to make sure, going back to that time thing, I want the right clients that say what they're going to do and do what they say they're going to do. And when they start, and here's another thing I think people need to understand about coaching. And this isn't a pitch for coaching. This is how are you going to get over imposter syndrome? How are you going to get over those limiting beliefs? How are you going to get past that, you know, now there's diversity, and I want to talk about diversity of thought, right? If you don't start changing the way you think, you can act the same way, but if you don't think differently, nothing changes. So part of coaching is understanding, how do I think? What are my limiting beliefs? Why am I afraid to do that? What would this look like? And what am I giving up to make this happen, right? Am I giving up time? Am I giving up money? Am I building relationships? How many executives do you know, John, that you've met and literally you watch them in their one, two, five million dollar homes and you look and they said, don't know my family, haven't spent time. They've accomplished more things than most people, but at what sacrifice have they made? And you still Yeah. And you still challenge them and they're like, yeah, I was just ready to be found out, which is not from doing something wrong. It's that imposter syndrome. It's the whole you know, I had to do this to get that, to be able to make this happen. And it's just a house of cards. It's just going to fall apart if this one thing, just because I can't sustain this on my own. You are 100%. Well, you know, it's an interesting point because that's the other side of the coin. I've seen people with imposter syndrome because how they were raised. So they're trying to play to the high school crowd or their parents. And so they're so focused on succeeding, working crazy, crazy, crazy hours that yeah, financially from the balance sheet perspective, they're like, see, but they still never dealt with the core and the root stuff. And they wreck everything else in their life is carnage. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that. I've been there where guys that were a friend of mine, it can that completely imploded. And he literally, he and his wife ended up homeless. Mm -hmm. After 2008, everything was in real estate and he'd worked for 15 years, destroyed everything around him. His wife stuck with him through all this, but they lost everything. And I've seen also people lose their family. So I th this is something, if you guys are just resonating with just elements of this conversation, I mean, find a coach, talk to somebody, reach out, because I, this is something that, it almost makes me think of, you got this beautiful Ferrari and it's sitting there and the engine is just roaring and you got your foot on the accelerator and the wheels are spinning and smoke's flying, but you got the parking brake on. And you need somebody to help you figure out how to take the parking brake off. Mm -hmm. So with that, your website is Mark, M-A-R-C, as in Charlie, Mark A. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, markawolf.com. If you'll connect with Mark, he's awesome. Stay connected. And Mark, just as we wrap up, just final thought for uh, anybody listening. Do what you were created to do 
And the best way to figure out what you were created to do, I mean, I believe it's through prayer for me. I know it's through prayer and I know who I was created by. So he's advised me through the Holy Spirit what I was created for. If you're not at that place in your life yet, or even if you have been and you've drifted away for whatever reason because of what's going on in today's world and the economy, reach out to somebody who's going to challenge you, right? Somebody who's going to give you that candor and actually help you see things because it's difficult to do on your own. And sometimes you just can't see and you've tried everything and you're just not able to get there. That's why you need somebody who's literally going to tell you things that you have to face. And sometimes they're so fundamental. So John, I, I know that we both challenge people, but we do it out of a heart of love, not to break people down. And that's, I think what's different in coaching and also with our faith. Yeah. Love that. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. Thanks for setting the way. And I'm excited, my friend, to read your book when it comes out. Well, it's called Yeah, But, by the way. It's going to be called Yeah, But, Excuses and Alibis. Yeah, But instead of Yes, And. It's, it's not yet. It's Yeah, But, because each chapter is about, it's an excuse why you wouldn't start, continue, or finish things. So there you go. That's going to be, you know what, that is needed, because we all have many of those Yeah, But moments, those handicapping statements that that's a whole nother conversation. So yes, when it's ready, you got to come back on because those self handicapping statements that we make, they're just, they can just destroy our performance. So we will do that. Keep rocking my friend. You're the best. Thanks, John. Appreciate it.